Welcome to the table of content. Pull up a seat. This is episode one. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Jordan, and this is the first ever episode of Table of Content, where nothing is off the table and everyone is welcome at it. So on this podcast, I'll do my best to keep you updated on all the big things in pop culture entertainment, from movies and TV to comics and video games. I'll cover all the news, reviews, and conversations that I can. So I hope you continue to join me in the future. Before we get too far into that good stuff, I do want to issue the it's my first episode warning and apology. There have been many attempts and many half recorded episodes that didn't make it out. I'm really excited for this one to finally get through. But this podcast is very much a work in progress. I'm working really hard to improve the production quality, but I still have a lot to learn and a long way to go. So please subscribe and bear with me as we smooth out the rough edges and let's just get into it. So we have a ton to cover today. Before we do that, we got to touch on something. It's not the first thing I wanted to put on the table in the first ever episode of the podcast, but we got to talk about it because it's going to continue to be news. As you've heard, I'm sure Spider-Man is back in the MCU. It seems like Disney and Sony have found a way to set aside their differences for the time being and continue Spider-Man together. With a deal right now, Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige will produce a third film in the Homecoming series. And also as a part of that arrangement, Spider-Man will appear in a future Marvel movie, whether that's in another Heroes franchise or in a future Avengers movie. We'll see. Uh, because it it seems like things are going to continue to change. I'm sure this deal isn't going to end up the way that it seems now, but for what it is, it seems like right now we're going to get a third film in the franchise. It's set to release on July 16th, 2021. And of course we'll have Tom Holland in his role as Spider-Man and John Watts, who directed the other two is in talks to direct this one as well. The history of the deal If you weren't quite clear on it, it seems like initially Disney wanted a 50-50 co-financing deal on Spider-Man. Last January, it dropped that down to 25. And then for almost six months, Sony never countered. So in June, Disney just broke off negotiations. Then Disney went on to make over a billion dollars on Far From Home this summer. But Sony was also feeling pretty confident because Venom made an unexpected almost 900 million. So both were feeling pretty good. They both dug in their heels. And then this is the the tragedy that we, we all heard about. The deal fell through. Nothing's going to work. Spider-Man is out of the MCU. There was fallout, fiasco, outrage. Everyone is heartbroken. 
Tom Holland appears on the stage at D23. He tells us he loves us 3,000. We think there's no hope. It's all gone. We're, we're torn up about it. And then give it a few weeks. And what a deal. He's back again. We did it. Hooray. I'm sure there's a lot behind the scenes. Who knows what was actually happening? Who knows if there was really no hope? At some point, it was said that any partnership between the two for a third movie was 100% dead. But that's very hard for me to believe. Anyway, it seems like there's a deal as of now. Disney's going to get roughly 25% of the profits, but will also retain the merchandising rights. So everyone's happy. Everyone's making their money. Kevin Feige, this is interesting. His quote on the whole situation after the news broke, he said, I'm thrilled that Spidey's journey in the MCU will continue. All of us at Marvel Studios are very excited that we get to keep working on it. Spider-Man is a powerful icon and hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. He also happens to be the only hero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So as Sony continues to develop their own Spidey-verse, you never know what surprises the future might hold. Huh. That makes it seem like there's big plans on both sides and they're making it work, but not really. It's also being reported now and confirmed by Bob Iger that Tom Holland is kind of the hero that saved Spider-Man, that he made multiple appeals to Bob Iger of Disney and Tom Rothman of Sony to kind of reach a resolution. Maybe this is true. Who knows? Who who cares? To be honest, I'm just kind of exhausted. But Spider-Man is back, at least for the time being. I'm not really surprised by this. I mean, did we really think that Marvel was just going to let this go? I was kind of surprised by anyone who really thought that this had fallen through and that it was all screwed. I don't think it's going to work like that with how much money is to be made on both sides. I just don't think it's a very secure and strong deal. And I'm sure we're going to kind of have more drama like this going into the future. So I'm really, really happy that he's here. But I'm just frustrated that all this happens. I think it just convolutes and distracts from everything that was really good for a while. Tom Holland is the perfect Peter Parker. He's a perfect Spider-Man. The way Marvel Studios does their films, they're pretty close to perfect as well. The way Sony does their movies, not so close to perfect. Personally, I really, really don't want Tom Holland anywhere near Sony. But alas, that's the way it's going to work. As long as Tom Holland is playing Spider-Man, there will still be some joy in my heart as I sit in that theater. But Sony has way more control and ties in this than I realized. I think when the Disney and Sony split first happened, Sony immediately began moving forward with their Spider-Man universe plans. They immediately put out the news that Andy Serkis was set to direct Venom 2, which I think could lend really well to the symbiote side of Venom. I didn't hate that first movie like some people did. I didn't love it either. Um, It kind of didn't do much for me and makes me nervous about the future. Woody Harrelson as Carnage makes me really nervous because I don't I like the actor a lot. I don't see him fitting well in that role as Cassidy. It's not really what I see in my head to be a good fit. But at the same time, I would love Tom Hardy in the MCU if done by Marvel. 
I think he could be really cool in that role. I just don't like the way that Sony kind of handled him. Venom 2 would probably introduce Tom Holland as Spider-Man and then start that kind of Spider-Verse type uh, situation. That doesn't make me nearly as excited. Can Tom Holland be in the Marvel and Sony franchises at the same time? It seems like that's kind of the play they're going on. And I think out of all the scenarios to try to make this work from both sides, that's the most exciting way to do it. They recently announced a Madam Web movie, which that's got to be their play, right? To do a Spider-Verse and with the animated Spider-Verse and the other spinoffs. It seems like that's kind of going to be the direction they're heading. Sony has a pretty good hand in this. Like I said, they have way more control of this deal than I think I realized. They're getting what they wanted. They, they're getting their money. Spider-Man's connections to Marvel will only bring more attention and interest in their spinoff films like Venom and Morbius. So to make these movies, they're going to make some quick millions on this. But also on top of that, Marvel's going to be making quality, good, thoughtful movies as well, which will come back on Sony in a way. So they're looking pretty good for their interest, which is the money. There is rumors recently that Disney is looking to offer upwards of $5 billion for total rights to Spider-Man. Do I think this is possible? Absolutely. Do I think this was offered? Probably. I Especially with the budget they're spending on each episode of their Marvel Disney Plus series, it's like $150 million per episode right now. So do they have the money to do it? Yes. Are they willing to do it? Probably. It's an investment. I'm sure they'll make it back quickly. And for them, it's all about branding. It's all about the future of Marvel. They probably really have hopes for Spider-Man to lead the future Avengers franchises. And they need that figurehead to keep familiarity hooked to characters in a new direction. So you can make a case for Captain Marvel as well. But I think Tom Holland is that that face that everybody loves and adores and people can really connect with. The question more, what would Sony bite on this? I don't think so, because I think keeping Tom Holland and keeping tangled ties with Marvel is an investment for them as well. Spider-Man is iconic. He's Marvel. He's one of the most recognizable superheroes there is. Um, So why would either side really want to give that up right now? And even if Sony is kind of the bad guy in this situation, people are going to pay to see Tom Holland wherever he goes. So it's going to put butts in the chairs and the theaters, no matter what studio is pushing out the movies. So Sony is not going to want to give that up if there's that much money to be made. Uh, We're getting a third movie. It's not an abrupt ending. There's some sort of deal. I'll be okay with that. For now, I guess, I am sure we'll talk about it way more in the future. So for now, I let's just move on and not exhaust ourselves with this. Because like I said, we got a ton more to cover. And this will be news for a long time to come. Also kind of in a similar vein, there's going to be two more things that I'm going to kind of touch on that kind of exhaustive, I guess. There's the the Disney Oscar campaign, which isn't that bad. We're going to get in a little bit to the Scorsese comments on Marvel movies, too. Again, we got to talk about it. There's no way around it. Um, With the the Oscar campaign, Disney set up to the four year consideration for the Academy Awards, including Avengers Endgame for Best Picture. What was surprising to people is that they're not pushing Robert Downey Jr. 
for Best Actor. Of course, I'm not surprised that Disney is going to push their films for the awards. Do I think that Endgame deserves an Oscar for Best Picture? No. Do I think it'll be talked about? Yes. Do I think the movie is incredible? Yes. In the same way that Avatar was up for Best Picture, in the same way that even Black Panther was up for awards as well, I get it. It had a huge cultural influence. There is no movie event ever quite like what Avengers Endgame brought us. It was a huge deal. And for how big of a deal it was, it was an incredible film. It was so much fun. It was a masterpiece in so many ways. It brought together so many elements of great, yes, cinema that I don't think I'll ever be as excited for and as emotionally invested in as I was for this. It was the culmination of so many years of buildup and connection and sentiment and character building that it was an incredible experience. And for what that is, you talk about, you know, Game of Thrones getting kind of their legacy Emmy, even though it was arguably their worst season. Gosh, if Marvel ever deserved some sort of best picture nod or something, it's for this movie. Do I think it will work like that? No, because it's a yearly award show for the best picture of the year. And there is some really high quality in filmmaking going on right now. There are some incredible movies that have come out and are coming out this this year that I think will deserve a purely best picture nod over Endgame. But for the cultural impact that it has on pop culture and cinema, there's nothing. It's unprecedented. I don't think it'll get nominated. And if it does, I'm sure there will be a lot of feedback. There will be a lot more comments and perspectives, kind of like what Scorsese said. But I think it has so much value in itself. On top of that, Robert Downey Jr. was not pushed. It seems like that was kind of his choice. He went on Howard Stern's show and said, yeah, they talked to me about that. Let's not. It's a similar thing. It's a legacy role for him. He was great in it. I love the character. I love the actor. He is the backbone, the cornerstone of Marvel, of the MCU. Do I think he was the best actor of the year? No, but I, I, I mean, I love what he did. So to, for him to kind of just bow out of that, I think that's fine. I'm not heartbroken over it. I'm not going to sit here and say they should campaign for it because I just don't think that's his award for the taking. He deserves a ton of credit and a ton of acknowledgement and celebration for all that he's been in Marvel, including his role in Endgame. But it's just not best actor. Since we're on the topic of Marvel movies as a whole and we're talking about award season, I mentioned Scorsese. I'm going to go ahead and give my two cents now for what it's worth. It'll probably come back up a little bit later because Scorsese also has some ties to Joker. And we're going to talk a little bit about The Irishman, which is coming out soon. So as I'm sure you've heard in an interview, a chat with Empire Magazine, he was talking about superhero Marvel movies. Uh, He said, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. 
Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well as they're made, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Okay, yeah, I don't I don't agree. I think it's silly. I think it's incorrect. I'm not going to sit here and try to critique Martin Scorsese's definition or perspective on film. I mean, the man absolutely deserves all the credit and acknowledgement for what he's done. He is a master craftsman when it comes to the art of filmmaking. What he's done is prolific. He has set a bar for filmmaking that is unprecedented in a lot of ways, and he absolutely deserves all the credit for that. Do I think that Marvel movies are cinema? Absolutely. It's cinema. Do I think that they don't convey emotional, psychological experiences? No, they absolutely do. They might not be as heavy set, sophisticated, introspective as some films are. They might not be as ambiguous and open to self-analysis as other are. They're made for families. They're made for blockbuster, summertime, movie enjoyment in a theater with your friends. They're not made in the same way that some of these other art house films are but they're not supposed to be. Are they cinema? Yes, for sure. And to an extent, they convey a deep level of emotional and psychological experiences if you allow them. It's still a redemptive storyline of good versus evil that if you want to, you can use that to redirect, re-examine your moral compass to see what you stand for, what you believe in. But yeah, I mean, they're for enjoyment. They're not supposed to wreck you. But Marvel, they include a lot of character development, uh, story, sophistication and structure. Do they direct you through that story? Yeah. Do they make it clear what they're trying to say? The message? Yes. But also for the way that they connect with so many different people, of so many demographics across age groups. Absolutely. It's cinema. Endgame is a huge example of that. The message that they sent with the level of depth, I've never been more emotionally invested in a movie theater experience than I was with Endgame. That is essential cinema to me. It's not like Scorsese came out in an op-ed or a think piece and said, here's my case for why Marvel movies aren't cinema. He was asked a question. He gave an opinion. I think what made it a big deal is because people came back and started making comments back to him. Samuel L. Jackson responded. Robert Downey Jr. responded. You know, like it just became a thing and it's great clickbait. I At first I rolled my eyes, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came out and kind of talked about it too. Um, and I thought his comments were actually kind of interesting. They're worth, he is kind of a fan of superhero movies, but he also kind of made a distinction between high art and Marvel films. There's a difference between these high art films and the type of entertainment that Marvel's trying to put out. And I kind of get it what Scorsese might be trying to say. I think he's upset because come award season, he's putting out The Irishman. He's put out these films in the past that are studied in film school. You know, like these are the quintessential films that shape the way that people approach this art in a way that Marvel isn't. So come award season, 
Scorsese doesn't want his films to be compared to Iron Man. And I kind of get what he's saying. I think he's upset because he knows those conversations are going to be had. And I kind of, in a way, agree, like I said, with Marvel and them making the case for Best Picture. There isn't a comparison to me. But to say it's not cinema is just it's silly to me as well. People can talk your ear off about and it's going to kind of keep circling the drain. Like what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he said, Marvel films have made me laugh, cry, jump, agonize, and almost always leave the theater feeling lighter and more satisfied than when I went in. And that's not nothing, but it's also not everything. With Marvel melodrama, we feel better. With high art, we are wiser. Marvel movies are cinema. Scorsese came back out in a press conference at the London Film Festival and basically reiterated what he said. I just pulled up the tweet. Scorsese on Marvel movies. They turn cinemas into theme parks. They're not cinema. They're something else. And we shouldn't be invaded by them. So now I'm just kind of over it. You're not doing yourself any favors. Can we? You could have just let this blow over. But I give it my two cents. It is probably what most other people say. Let's just move on, please. Conversations like these will probably be a little more fun for you and for me in the future when there are guests on the show or even co-hosts. Until then, it'll probably just be me reiterating the same points over and over again. But we'll still try to have fun with it. And then in the future, hopefully have a little more conversation to stir the pot. So just let me know your thoughts and we'll insert some other opinions and stuff in here. So next, we're going to get into some castings. It'll be hopefully a weekly show for now. So it'll cover the past week's news and castings and trailers and things like that for movies and for TV and for other things. Today, it's going to go a little further than that. It'll probably be a couple to a few weeks. I think there's just some news that is lingering that will be news in the future. So I kind of go back to the start of that set, kind of a playing field, just so when those things come back up, we'll have a launch pad for those things. I also don't know for sure the way that I organize it today, if that's going to be the way it stands. I'm going to kind of break it up into movies and then TV and then some other things before we get into reviews. But it might change based more on chronology. Uh, We might just do it based on what comes out first in the week and go through most recent. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Things can always change. Let's start with some castings. The big one that people have been buzzing about that we're going to get a lot more news in the future and it's still kind of a ways off before the movie. It's the Batman. So Matt Reeves is rebooting the franchise again. He's done some pretty cool work. He just did stuff with Planet of the Apes franchise is in pretty good hands. I don't think people are too hesitant yet. It was a little different because it was supposed to be Ben Affleck doing the directing until he completely removed himself from the franchise completely. So since he is no longer director, he's also no longer Batman. We got Robert Pattinson. Uh, Pattinson. He is our next Batman. This came out a while ago. Most people have already formed their opinions. I personally am very excited about it. At first, it kind of took me aback. I wasn't sure how to feel. Now that I've had some time to sit in it, I think this could be really cool. And I think that Robert Pattinson could be a great Bruce Wayne if it goes the direction of the street level detective noir type feel that we're getting rumors on. 
he could do really well. He, of course, has a reputation, I guess, based around Twilight. If you watch some of his other films, if you watch Good Time, um, he's also in High Life. If you give those films a, a watch, like you'll see that he's got some talent. I think also coming up, he's in The Lighthouse, which he's already getting a push for uh, Best Actor at the Oscars, which I haven't seen the movie. It's getting great reception from the film festivals and stuff, especially Willem Dafoe and his role. But they're both getting high acknowledgement for their role in this movie. I haven't seen it. We will see it in the future. A lot of people will be keeping a close eye on him and his upcoming roles to gauge his ability. Since the casting broke, he hasn't, you know, shown anything. So these couple first movies, people are going to kind of look if it's playing out the way it is. He killed it in The Lighthouse. He's also in The King, I believe, which is coming out on Netflix. So we'll see with that. Speaking of also being typecasted, the other, the big casting announcement, well, it wasn't officially announced yet, but the all but announced casting is Jonah Hill as either the Penguin or the Riddler. My immediate thought was, oh, it's probably got to be Penguin, right? Because you think of that typecasted, goofy, zany Jonah Hill as a odd, awkward Oswald Cobblepot. But Jonah Hill, too, he's showed his versatility and his breadth in his performances as of late. He really could be a, I don't know, he could be a cool Riddler, too. I And I'm kind of pushing more for that now. I think it would take a while into the movie if Jonah Hill was the penguin to not see Jonah Hill playing the role. I think it would be distracting at first. You close your eyes and you see Jonah Hill in the top hat in the Oswald Cobblepot with the cane. It's just it's almost too convenient for me. A Riddler could actually be really cool. And I think he could do a, a good job in the role as well. I think we'll get some casting news soon. That will kind of confirm what's going on with that. I think Jonah Hill is pushing himself to be Riddler rather than Penguin. Uh, The other casting is Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. I mean, no one's not excited about Jeffrey Wright in any role he's in. I mean, he's incredible in whatever he does. I think him as Commissioner Gordon makes absolute sense. I don't know if anyone's really disappointed in this. I think he'll be great in the role. What's also cool is that probably implies that we'll get a, a black Batgirl to give her some diversity or a fresh take as well. She has a standalone movie that is supposedly in the works, along with some other standalone movies that are rumored as well, including like a Nightwing, which I think is delayed. So the way that this franchise is shaping up, it seems like. We're going to get a ton of Batman characters. I really hope Matt Reeves takes his time on this franchise. I hope he doesn't just cram characters into the first one. It's said that he's going to go for more of a quick cycle through a lot of different villains rather than a deep dive into one like we've seen in the past. If he does the rogues gallery with all of these villains, my first initial reaction is excitement just because I love the idea of just seeing all of these, you know, these villains just kind of lining up to take shots at Batman and him just trying to have to keep all of them at bay. But I'm scared that it's going to get real convoluted, real messy, real fast, and it'll end up just a mess, you know, where we've seen with other DC movies 
Justice League, that kind of stuff, where they just try to fit too much into something that just doesn't hold water and that it'll just kind of not work. I'm scared of that. So I'm hoping that he takes the course of the trilogy to establish these things. They get good actors for each of these villains, these characters. I think it could be a lot of fun. So I'm going to be nervous with any DC movie. None of them just really hit home to me because of the constant reboots and additional jokers. If he's going to do a rogues gallery, he's going to have to cast a joker. And that right now just doesn't seem to be an ideal timing. So I hope that he also takes his time on that. There's a rumor of an appearance of Robin. So we'll see if if Dick Grayson shows up, if that becomes the Nightwing movie that we're talking about in the future. Again, I think we should take the first movie. Let's establish Bruce Wayne as a character with good identity, good persona before we start doing these spinoff heroes, doing a detective Robert Pattinson could be really cool. And then things start kind of ramping up for him as we go. Casting that we actually have rumored names on is Catwoman. There's a few names that are floating around. Lupita Nyong'o, of course, from Us and Black Panther. There's also Tessa Thompson, which, of course, is Valkyrie. Both of those would be really cool, really powerful actresses. There's a few other names, but that'd be fine. I think they would both fit that really well. And if I heard that, I'd absolutely be excited. It's more of when they enter the conversation for me that I'm more interested in. The film isn't scheduled until, let's see, June, I think, of 2021. Yeah, June 2021. There's still a while to go. That may be subject to change. We'll get some. I think we're supposed to get some casting news soon. Uh, So those announcements will come and we'll take another shot at that as we go. So let's move on to some quicker news and castings. These will go fairly fast because they don't have quite as much context yet. So next up, we got casting for Death on the Nile uh, coming out in October of 2020. It's a sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, which came out a few years ago. It's another Agatha Christie novel done by Kenneth Branagh. Using Murder on the Orient Express as a case study of what obviously could be the same in the sequel. This is a great example of what I'm nervous with, with like the Batman, where you can have a great cast, a great production, and a movie just doesn't really do much. Murder on the Orient Express, it just, it's one of those things that seemed like it should have been a good movie and it just didn't land. Daisy Ridley, Leslie Odom Jr., Penelope Cruz, Josh Gad, Johnny Depp had the pieces. I mean, it was just boring. It was uh, drawn out and I just didn't like it. I wouldn't say it was bad, but the same thing could be said for Death on the Nile. The casting again is great. Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Letitia Wright, Russell Brand is in there. They have the cast. The production is the same. Kenneth Branagh has had kind of a weird career. He's been in and directed a lot. He has a lot of Shakespearean type training and experience, and that's where he was nominated for Best Actor and Best Director for Henry V. But since then, I don't know, his career is very odd, where he's just kind of jumped around. Uh, Harry Potter, Dunkirk, Thor, 
Jack Ryan, Cinderella. I think he's a talented guy, obviously knows film very well, knows acting very well, and has the potential to make a good movie. Maybe they'll learn some lessons, find a way to kind of spice it up to make it less boring. What's also going to be hard is with Knives Out coming out soon, the reviews are incredible. And that's more of a modernized murder mystery, also with the star-studded cast. So even if Death on the Nile is good, it's going to raise kind of the question of what people really want or if they really want another murder mystery. It will be interesting to see if there's kind of a revival of the murder mystery genre. It seems like we're getting a little bit more of that now. I like a good murder mystery. I think they're a lot of fun. If things come out and Death on the Nile is good, awesome. I'm a little apprehensive about it. So 2020 for that release. At New York Comic Con not too long ago, we got a announcement and a surprise appearance from the cast of Free Guy, which is coming out July of next year. July 3rd, 2020. It stars Ryan Reynolds. It's about a bank teller who discovers he's a background character in an open-world video game called Free City, and he discovers it'll soon go offline. So a story about a a self-aware video game character, kind of Wreck-It Ralph-esque, it seems. It's directed by Sean Levy, who worked on Stranger Things, and he pulled over Joe Keery, who plays Steve Harrington, to see kind of what he's capable of. It has, like I said, Ryan Reynolds as Guy, also Taika Waititi, and Jodie Comer, who just won the Emmy for her role in Killing Eve. Quite a cast. It'll be a lighthearted comedy that also pulls in some fantasy elements. Great to see Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi together. So there's a really funny video on Ryan Reynolds' page that he posted to Twitter of the four of them, of the main cast, sitting together. Ryan Reynolds and Taika are talking about how it's always been their dream to kind of work together and how they always try to connect. And then Joe Keery calls him out saying, didn't you guys work together on uh, Green Lantern? And they pretend like they don't know what he's talking about. Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi could play off of each other really well. Even the video just makes you smile. And I think this movie, if it's done well, it'll just be a great ride. So I'm really excited for this. Probably get more news or a trailer or something in the future. Another big announcement is the casting of David Diggs as Sebastian in the live-action Little Mermaid from Disney. This is cool, right? David Diggs, he's in the original production of Hamilton. Uh, He also wrote and starred in Blindspotting, which I think that was one of the better movies of last year. And then he was also in Wonder, the Jacob Tremblay movie. Jacob Tremblay is also in Little Mermaid as Flounder. This is probably the best casting, I think, so far. Like, one that makes me most confident, I guess. I don't know much about Halle Bailey. From what I've seen and from what I've heard, she seems like she's really talented. She can sing. Um, So her as Ariel, I don't really know. And then they also casted King Triton. Melissa McCarthy as Ursula makes me kind of timid. I don't even know if she can sing. Most Melissa McCarthy roles I'm not a fan of. So if they kind of give her like that dorky typecast role that she usually has, I'm going to be way out on her as Ursula. Um, Aquafina, 
I don't know. I like Aquafina, but her voice could get very annoying over the course of the movie. So we'll see with this one. I am excited about David Diggs. He's one of those guys you see whatever he's doing and you're you're a fan of. He's just kind of a creative driving force. So with him having the musical talent and the acting talent to add to that role, it makes me a little more hopeful that at least something in this movie will kind of fit well. Not to be confused with ABC Little Mermaid musical where uh, Shaggy is playing Sebastian, which I, I mean, that's got to be a close second. John Stamos as uh, the chef or whatever trying to, does he trying to eat flounder or eats probably eat flounder? I don't know. So we got some more casting for The Little Mermaid. I still don't think we know when this is even supposed to be released. And I think that kind of rounds out most of the main cast. I don't think we got, oh, we almost got a Prince Eric. I thought Harry Styles would have been cool as Prince Eric, but we'll see who they get instead. What we also got recently is uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as the lead role in the upcoming Matrix 4. The news of the movie itself just broke not too long ago, but it's happening and it's moving because they uh, casted the lead role. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, he's going to be a name that people talk about in the future. He was in Aquaman as Black Manta, and he was pretty good in that. He's definitely got the action acting role down for that. He's also in the uh, Watchmen coming out, so we'll definitely be talking about him soon. Us for a little bit, Jordan Peele's Us, and he's going to be in, he's the lead in the Candyman, which Jordan Peele is doing, the reboot of Candyman. Cool. Um, he's going to be alongside Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are coming back, but no Lawrence Fishburne. So I think like the buzz, the rumors was kind of that Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character would be a young Morpheus. I don't know if he'll be a young Morpheus or maybe just like kind of a, a relative or something like a nephew or, you know, that kind of thing. It's really too soon to really know. I think Matrix could do a lot of things. It's one of those reboots uh, where I don't know if it's necessary. We'll see where that goes. I think that's it for casting. So let's go on to some some other movies that were announced to be in production that we don't have many details on yet. Clerks 3 is happening. Kevin Smith got on Instagram and announced that that is on the way with the original crew joining him. Jay and Silent Bob, the reboot, comes out this week. So we will get some feedback for that soon. That movie hopefully will be a good time. It has quite the cast attached to it. It's nice to see Kevin Smith just in good health doing his thing. He seems to kind of hang around in different facets of geek culture. He's always in the conversation, but now he's back working on his own films, back to his namesakes. So I'm sure if you're a cult follower of his movies, you're pretty excited about what he's doing right now. Let's stay aboard the reboot train for a while that we are always riding on. We are getting another attempt at a live action Inspector Gadget from Disney with the producers from the live action Aladdin remake and with writers Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel who work on Saturday Night Live and they're also writing for the Home Alone reboot for Disney+. I think this Inspector Gadget is intended for theatrical release rather than a Disney Plus thing, but I don't know if that's been clarified yet. I could see it landing either way, depending on how much of a shot Disney wants to take on this one. That's the luxury that they have now, that they can just start working on a project, and if it seems like it sucks, just throw it on the streaming service instead. Without much fallback, they get 
tons of views and lower expectations. The overall success will probably rest on who they get in the lead role. If they get a decent actor or actress, actually, I could definitely see them cast a female this time around. If they get someone good, then this will probably work out fine. The premise of Inspector Gadget isn't that crazy, and I'm sure they could modernize it, update it for kids now, throw in some drones and some iPhones and make it relevant. You could have a field day with that Matthew Broderick version. Man, even as a kid, that movie sucked. It wasn't funny, and he had he has creepy facial expressions. There's something also off-putting about a man with bionic body parts under a trench coat extending off of him all the time. It just didn't sit well with me even when I was younger. Hopefully a little CGI or something will lend better to this version. Here's another one with potential that probably won't go anywhere. Universal is working on another Treasure Island movie. This one's with the director from How to Train Your Dragon, but he's never worked on a live action movie before, which immediately makes me cautious. The premise of Treasure Island, it doesn't seem like it should be hard to get right. You get some sexy pirates, fight each other, look for buried treasure. I guess that's kind of what Pirates of the Caribbean already did. I'm sure this is one that will look really nice. The storyline will fall flat. It'll come and go, and then another studio will reboot it in a couple years. The studio that worked on Paddington is making a Pippi Longstocking movie. Paddington movies were good. People really loved those. I just remember Pippi Longstocking, the last one. She looked like the Wendy's logo. Maybe with, is it Sandra Bullock who's doing the Hot Cheetos movie? Maybe we could do a Wendy's Spicy Nugs movie and Finn Wolfhard plays Pippi Longstocking with the freckles and the pigtails and he runs around to different fast food restaurants and tries their chicken sandwiches. This movie isn't being made for me. It's being made for little girls and they will enjoy it. I am really interested in this next one, which is being made for me. An adaptation of the comic book series Bitter Root by Ryan Coogler, who, of course, is the director of Black Panther and the Creed movies. So he has a pretty good track record on the comic book genre so far. Bitter Root is a comic book published by Image. It centers around a family that were once really great monster hunters. They went around, they cured the souls of these monsters that were infected by hatred They are now split and torn between killing the monsters or curing them, but they have to decide if they want to come back, work it out, come together, because there's a new breed of monsters loose on the streets of New York City, and if they don't come together, they could destroy all of humanity. The movie's being produced by Legendary, so that makes me kind of think of the the I Am Legend vibe, so that could work really well with this. I know that not every Ryan Coogler movie can star Michael B. Jordan, but Michael B. Jordan in this movie would be A-OK with me. He also has uh, the comic books, the anime vibes going right now. So let's get him in on this one. I will be keeping a close eye on this. I'm pretty pumped for it. It's still early, but hopefully we get some more news coming up soon. There was a big announcement about a John Wick spinoff movie that's being fast-tracked right now. It's called Ballerina. It's about a female assassin who wants revenge on the people who killed her family. There is a fourth John Wick movie still in the works with Keanu Reeves, 
So it appears that this will be a standalone movie in the universe, but kind of doing its own thing at the same time. It's unclear if they'll tie in at all with a Keanu cameo of any sort or if it'll be completely separated. What's really interesting about the way that they're doing this is that the character of the ballerina was glimpsed at in the third one, but she didn't have a presence in the movie. I think actually the actress that was credited for the role, her name's Unity Phelan. She's actually a ballerina. So this won't be the same lead in the upcoming movie. They'll probably announce a new casting. Uh, I think this is safe because they don't have any ties or attachments to the John Wick trilogy. So they can try something. If it doesn't work, it won't blow back very much. Uh, But it still gives them a chance to focus on the female lead doing the action, doing the vengeance for once, and also gives them a potential new direction to move beyond Keanu depending on how long that franchise lasts in itself. Ballerina is being directed by Lynn Wiseman. He did the Underworld movies. So he has that experience with the female-driven action franchise. He also directed Live Free or Die Hard. So he's inserted himself into a larger franchise as well. Most recently, though, he's been doing more TV with Lucifer, The Gifted, and Swamp Thing for the DC Universe. More of those comic book adaptations with a little bit of those horror elements that could lend well to this movie. The potential problem here is that movies like Underworld, they have their following, but they're not really well received by everyone. And just because you have that cult fan base doesn't mean it blends well with something like John Wick, which has a cult following as well, but it's also highly regarded by almost everyone. Like I said, this could be a smart play because it's so separated and a start of its own thing that if it doesn't work out very well, people will be much quicker to dismiss it and it won't blow back on what Keanu Reeves has built with John Wick. I hope that it works cool. I love the idea of that badass female role. I think movies like Atomic Blonde most recently, they have those females that are the spies or the assassins. They're really ambitious. They haven't quite hit that mark that I think people want, but this could potentially do that, especially with the creative force behind John Wick. I'm hoping for the best. I love the John Wick movies, and this could be a really cool addition to that franchise. The last bit of big news is a Training Day prequel that's in the works at Warner Brothers. Training Day is, it's a 2001 movie. It starred Denzel Washington, who won an Academy Award, and Ethan Hawke, who was nominated for Supporting Actor. There was, since then, has been a TV show that was set 15 years after the movie, but this will be a prequel It's set in L.A. about 10 years before. So it's set in 1992, two days before the Rodney King verdict was delivered. This is set around a younger version of Alonzo Harris, who was Denzel Washington's character. It is yet to be determined who will play him. It doesn't seem that Denzel Washington is attached right now. There's actually not even a director confirmed, so it's still very early. But this was a great movie, so I hope that they put some time and some thought into this one. 
Before we get into some trailers, I do want to touch on one more thing. It is a rumor, but it's also been floating around long enough. I think we're going to get some real news on it somewhat soon. That is the introduction of Nova into the MCU. The rumors are circulating again that Richard Ryder, also called Nova, will be confirmed to be on his way into the MCU in the near future. But these talks have also gone back all the way to the first Guardians movie. James Gunn considered putting Nova into that storyline. Ultimately, he decided not to, probably for the best, because it most likely would have distracted from that team that he was trying to build. And Nova's a little more recognized, so I think it would have been distracting. Since then, though, Nova as a character has been floating around in talks for years Kevin Feige has said multiple times that Nova is an immediate priority for the next phases of the MCU. The Russo brothers talked about writing him into Infinity War, and they even made a joke about him making an an appearance in Endgame. So he's definitely out there. I think they're teasing him. It's just a matter of time before he is introduced. I'm a little surprised that they're going with the Richard Rider version because the Sam Alexander character is who they pushed more in the Spider-Man cartoon and comics. But I don't think it really matters because I think either way, what they're going to go for is a younger Nova who somehow finds himself on Earth and teams up with this young new Avengers initiative and becomes a part of that team. A lot of the times these characters are based loosely in the comics for their cinematic appearance because they have to kind of tie into what they've already established in these movies. So this young Nova, I don't know if they're going to attach him to the Nova core. Technically, in the comics, Richard Ryder gets his power from Roman Day. Roman Day was played, at least in name, by John C. Riley in the Guardians movie. But it didn't appear that he had a Nova power at the time. The Nova core itself in Guardians is not quite what it is in the comics. Again, it's all loosely based. Either way, we're going to get roughly the same character introduced into the MCU. And I think a lot of people are just on pins and needles waiting for this news to finally officially break. I'd love to see a Nova that plays off of Spider-Man in the way that Tom Holland can do so well with the other characters in the Avengers movies. Okay, so let's get into some movie trailers then. We have a ton of movie trailers to get through today. Usually with a weekly episode, we won't have nearly this many. But for today, we're going to have to keep it moving and I'm going to have to not get into them quite as deep as I probably will in the future. Maybe the more recent ones as we get towards the end of the list, I'll dive into a little bit further. First up, we got the second trailer for The King's Man. This is a prequel movie to the Kingsman franchise. There's been two so far in that. There's Kingsman The Secret Service and then Kingsman The Golden Circle was released in 2017. There's another in that storyline that's confirmed to be in production as well as an American-based spinoff, hopefully in the future. But this is the third movie in the franchise. It's a prequel. It's set in World War I, 
The premise is, as a collection of history's worst tyrants and criminal masterminds gather to plot a war to wipe out millions, one man must race against time to stop them. This is a loaded trailer. Black Sabbath is pounding the whole time. They got a stocked cast in this. A lot of British guys looking British. It's going to be cool. I think the gritty World War One battle scenes look, the visuals are awesome, but it's got that edgy warfare. Also ties in the espionage, secret service type vibes that give it a little mystery. I love the first movie in this franchise. Didn't love the second one, but the first Kingsman, the secret service, I loved it. I thought Taron Edgerton was really good. He's not in this one because it's a prequel. He'll hopefully be in the future roles. But I think the cast in this looks great. I think the storyline could be really, really cool and really interesting. It's that World War One assassination storyline with a little bit of mystery. It'll have the reintroduction of what the Kingsman is as a Secret Service. Hopefully that's not redundant. But there's a lot going on in this trailer. The movie is released February of next year. So I will absolutely be all about this one. This trailer just gets you going. Let's stay in the time period. And we're going to jump to the trailer for 1917 from Sam Mendes. He won an Academy Award for American Beauty. He also directed Road to Perdition. Skyfall most recently, he's worked on Penny Dreadful. The man knows how to make a movie. He knows how to, to make a good movie at that. This is set in World War I, obviously in 1917. It centers around two young privates who are given an impossible mission to deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men, one of the soldier's brothers, from walking straight into a deadly trap. So it's two young soldiers, shell-shocked, fused, scared, trying to race against the clock, save their own lives in order to save others. This is a stressful trailer. It's going to be an anxiety-inducing, intense movie. It is a war-centric World War I movie. You are in the trenches the whole time. It's that jarring style of warfare that we kind of don't see quite as much. Uh, we get a lot of World War II, not as many World War I movies, where there's just all this war technology that people aren't caught up with. A lot of young guys trying to stay alive. A lot of explosions, confusion, and it's intense. We are definitely going to be captivated by the style of cinematography here as well. It's supposed to be done in a one-shot style, so it appears like it's all in one take, uh, but it's not. The cinematographer is Roger Deakins, who is considered one of the most influential of all time. Done uh, Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, Skyfall as well, Blade Runner 2049. So we know that that will be captivating. Uh, we'll see if the plot can keep us hooked on that as well. But these guys know how to make a movie. It has a loaded cast. Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Madden, Mark Strong, Colin Firth has all the pieces. Um, we'll just wait for it to deliver on those. It's getting Oscar buzz, so it seems like it's going to be able to do that. Looks like an intense movie. I think it'll be really, really good. Looking forward to it. It comes out in February of next year. Okay, let's do a couple more films that hopefully should be pretty good. And then we'll do a couple that I'm not so sure of. 
The first one is The Gentleman, coming out January 24th, 2020. Okay, so January release, not usually a good sign. It's kind of a dead period after award season. Not quite as confident, but this cast is just phenomenal. Uh, it's a Guy Ritchie film who's coming off of Aladdin. He's also known for Snatch and Sherlock Holmes. It's about a very British drug lord who tries to sell off his highly profitable empire to a dynasty of Oklahoma billionaires. Starring Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Michelle Dockery, Jeremy Strong, Henry Golding, Colin Farrell, and Hugh Grant. I mean, how can this not be decent with a cast like that? It's definitely one of those trailers that showcases the characters and the actors more so than the plot. Uh, I mean, there's drugs, there's drug lords, there's people in body bags. But more than that, it kind of shows off the cheeky, witty humor, the interactions between the characters. I'm sure you can guess which role Matthew McConaughey plays in this. He is not the British drug lord. He is very much the quintessential Oklahoma billionaire. This movie will live or die by this cast. If they work together, it'll be great. If not, it'll be overblown and it could be a disappointment. Another movie with a star-studded cast, this one based on real events, Richard Jewell, about an American security guard who heroically saved thousands of lives from an exploding bomb at the 1996 Olympics, but was unjustly vilified by journalists and the press who falsely reported that he was a terrorist. This one directed by Clint Eastwood. He loves to do those semi-biographical films based on true stories, a lot of times based on sports as well. Million Dollar Baby, Invictus, also has done Gran Torino, America's Sniper, Sully. This one, like I said, has a great cast as well, starring Paul Walter Hauser as Richard Jewell, John Hamm, Sam Rockwell, Olivia Wilde. It's an intriguing story. The trailer in itself is suspenseful, makes me want to figure out what the truth behind everything is. It's interesting, this one it's produced by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill. They were originally going to be in the movie. Jonah Hill was going to play Richard Jewell and Leo DiCaprio, his lawyer. They're no longer in the roles, but still producing. It seems like they think they got something here. They uh, moved the release date up to December 13th. So if that's a sign of anything, this may be a contender. The story is fascinating. Don't know a whole lot about it. I was pretty young at the time. But it kind of gives off that O.J. Simpson vibe with uh, the 24-hour news cycle following as this thing develops. Seems like they get it wrong, which I think also connects a lot with the audience now that's very in tune to the idea of fake news or misreporting what's the truth, the true crime audience as well. So I think this could hit hard come this winter. Potentially not very good, on the other hand, we can talk about... Birds of Prey, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. We finally got a trailer for that, and it gave us our first look, a first look that looked a lot like Suicide Squad. Margot Robbie is returning as Harley Quinn. She first appeared in Suicide Squad, and then is now in this movie, but they're not connected. She's also playing the same character in the rebooted Suicide Squad, which is not connected. Jared Leto's Joker is no more, but the name drop Joker in the first three seconds 
not to be confused with the Joker movie that just came out that isn't connected. So even if you've done your research on this, like I've tried to, it's an absolute mess and there's no way to figure it out. I don't think Warner Brothers is trying to help or offer much of an explanation. They're just making movies. They hope that the actors will be enough to draw people in. Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie, is great. But at this point, even with her ability to play that character, I'm over it and exhausted. I'm confused and I just don't really have much of a reason to give this much effort for trying to separate and distance themselves. The marketing and the branding is an awful lot like the other movie. So it's hard for me to not just put myself back in this place. So I think there could be redeeming qualities. I think they could try to learn a lot of lessons. I'm sure they will. And hopefully the branding and the marketing stays true to the actual feel of the movie, which Suicide Squad did not. Uh, I do have hope for the new Suicide Squad, but it's the same thing where I'm just exhausted before I even begin. The other thing that's weird about this trailer is that for being a Birds of Prey movie, they give no explanation or insight into who these Birds of Prey are. It's basically a Harley Quinn trailer. She's talking to these women that you know are supposed to be significant, but they don't give you any sort of background into who they are. Uh, they don't really say much about the villain, Black Mask, which is played by Ewan McGregor, a really cool villain in the comics. You think there's something going on in the background here, but you are just kind of vibing off of uh, Harley's monologue the whole time. I'm assuming the next trailer will kind of give more character profiles of who each of these characters are. But that would be kind of a good play, I think, as far as marketing goes to say, hey, this is different because we have these new characters. But instead, they chose to revolve this whole first trailer about the one thing that connects all of these movies and all of this convolution across the DC brand right now. There's just not much here to give me much hope for this one. Most signs point to this just not being very good. This drops in February, so we'll get another trailer. We'll have another conversation about it when we get that one. And who knows, maybe next time around, there will be something that starts to change my mind. Let's go ahead and keep the bar lower for the next few before we get into some big movies that just got trailers. I want to go over some Netflix films that are coming out. And it's hard to tell with these original films from Netflix because they don't give much forewarning. They'll come out. They'll have great production quality. Usually a big cast will be attached to them. And it's hard to gauge if they're going to be worth watching before they're actually here. A lot of times they fall flat or they get kind of lost in the mix. There will be some gems in there, but it seems like they're kind of few and far between. But Netflix keeps announcing them. I think to compete with Disney Plus especially, they're going to have to keep putting them out. One of the biggest ones that they just announced is for December. It's Six Underground, starring Ryan Reynolds. It's a Michael Bay movie for Netflix. It's not going to theaters at all. It still costs $150 million to make, though. With the cast not being that big, other than Ryan Reynolds, it has Dave Franco and then the actor who played Angel in the younger X-Men movies. Other than that, all that money, the budget must be going to just the production cost. It's a Michael Bay movie, so, I mean, as soon as you start the trailer, you know it. There's big scenes, skyscrapers, running up walls. 
there's loud explosions, big things happening. So you know that there's a lot of money going to that. Um, Probably a lot of money going to Ryan Reynolds. The movie's about a new kind of action hero. Six untraceable agents totally fall off the grid. They've buried their past so that they can change the future. Basically, from other descriptions, it's a bunch of billionaires who fake their own deaths so that they can go out and fight crime, it seems. This is going to be an entertaining movie. It's going to be watchable. It's not going to be good. But none of these Michael Bay movies ever really are. I think that will work well for Netflix because people are going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I don't know if it'll work as well for Michael Bay because without that theater immersive experience, the ability to lose yourself in those loud noises and cool special effects, I think people are going to realize just how bad these movies are. Even the trailer, Ryan Reynolds isn't even really being Ryan Reynolds. He's not that funny. He's not making those those witty lines like he usually does. Seems like there's just not much going on here. I don't think there's going to be much of a story. I think there's going to be a bunch of stunt doubles jumping around, doing some crazy stuff, explosions all over the place. I'll definitely watch it. I think people will be very interested in it at first. I think it will die off very quickly especially Star Wars coming out like a week after this, it's going to have a pretty short life. Another Netflix trailer we got is for a movie called The Turning. This one is interesting, though, because it's a horror movie that was just announced at the beginning of October, but it doesn't come out till next January. It's about a young governess who is played by Mackenzie Davis, who is hired by a man who has become responsible for his young nephew and niece after the deaths of their parents. It's a modern take on the Henry James novella, The Turn of the Screw. I haven't read the novella. I don't know much about this story. The nephew in it is played by Finn Wolfhard, though, and he is the horror aspect to this movie. He's this twisted kid. I don't know if he's possessed or just weird, but he's doing some freaky stuff in this trailer, antagonizing this woman who's come in to kind of take care of these two kids It has a lot of the typical elements of a horror trailer. There's really not much new here. It looks very prototypical, very cut and dry. She comes into a situation, realizes she shouldn't be there. It's too late. There's stuff crawling all over the place, things creeping around. Finn Wolfhard's appearing out of nowhere, doing and saying some weird stuff. He's killing fish. Anybody who kills animals as a kid is sure sign to be a serial killer. This is just weird, though, because if this was coming out in October or around Halloween season, I think I'd have a lot more energy for it. It would pique my curiosity a little bit. If it's being released in late January, I don't know if I'm going to end up watching this. I think this is going to fly under the radar for a lot of people. It doesn't look any different, anything unique to a usual horror movie. And I think this one's just going to come and get lost in the mix. There's not much buzz about it right now. Uh, So this one's going to be lost on me, I think. There is a thriller coming a little bit sooner, though. Earthquake Bird will be on Netflix on November 15th. This is about a young woman living in Tokyo who becomes the prime suspect in a horrific murder when her friend goes missing in the wake of a tumultuous love triangle. The lead role in this is Alicia Vikander, who played Ava in Ex Mahina. And it kind of has that feel. It's a psychological thriller. The trailer does a pretty good job at hooking you in, 
definitely makes it seem like there's a lot of twists and turns in the movie. You're not really sure who's good, who's not, what's real, what isn't. They make it seductive, but super unsettling at the same time. They throw in a lot of weird, strange elements to kind of keep you on the edge. A lot of times, these really good trailers, it's really hard to tell if they're actually going to be good or if it's just simply a good trailer. A lot of times they end up not delivering nearly as much as it kind of teases in terms of suspense or twists and turns. We'll see on this one. There is a few reviews trickling in. I think it played at the London Film Festival. There's only three critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes right now. One of them is Hollywood Reporter. They gave it a rotten score. Said it's a fairly flat treatment of over-familiar plot elements and fatally low on the key psychothriller elements of suspense, surprise, and dread. There's 50 or so user reviews on IMDb, and it has about a 7.5 out of 10. So it looks like it could be one of those sit at home on the weekend, watch a thriller on Netflix. It kind of sucks you in. And that for a lot of people, that's okay. For me, that's usually fine. I'll manage my expectations going into it. It's at least enough right now for me to want to check it out. The last Netflix movie I want to mention is an animated Christmas movie coming out early November, just in time for the holiday season. It's called Klaus. Uh, The synopsis, when Jesper distinguishes himself as the Postal Academy's worst student, he is stationed on a frozen island above the Arctic Circle, where the feuding locals hardly exchange words, let alone letters. Jesper is about to give up when he finds an ally and a local teacher and discovers Klaus, a mysterious carpenter who lives alone in a cabin full of handmade toys. These unlikely friendships return laughter to Smearinsburg, forging a new legacy of generous neighbors, magical lore, and stockings hung by the chimney with care. I am a sucker for a good holiday family movie, especially one where you don't have to leave the house at all, where you can sit and put it on Netflix and enjoy it. I'm pretty excited about this one, especially because the animation looks really, really nice. The director of this, this is his first directing credit, but he has written on movies like Despicable Me, and he's done animation on a ton of movies. His name is Sergio Pablos, or Pablos. We'll see how this goes, but the animation, at least the aesthetic is really, really nice, and I don't need a lot out of a Christmas movie. I just need some heart, and this has it. The trailer is really cute. It has some Panic of the Disco going in it as well. So I think I'll enjoy it. And I am all in on this one. Anything to bring me some joy in the cold months. Another one before we get into some really popular trailers. This one isn't quite as mainstream. I'm going to throw it out there because I'm really excited about it for anyone who may share my interest. This is a very surreal trailer for I Lost My Body. It's a 2D animated fantasy movie going to theaters on November 15th, but coming to Netflix on November 29th. It's based on a French novel. It tells the story of a severed hand that escapes a Parisian laboratory desperately in search of its original body. The hand begins to remember its old life of days when it was once attached to a pizza boy named Nafel. As the hand hunts down Nafel, it also begins to recall the boy's love for a librarian named Gabrielle, which may hold answers about just what happened to the hand. 
You got to see the trailer to give it a chance. If that's not enough to at least spark some appreciation for the movie, you should know that it was the first animated movie to win the Nespresso Grand Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. So even if you're not for it, it's going to be good and I am for it. So I'm going to talk about it. Anyway, there's been some big trailers for some highly anticipated movies that I'm also very excited to talk about. Let's stick with some animation and let's go to Pixar's Onward. This is Pixar's newest completely original movie coming out next March. It is set in a magical world populated with elves, trolls, mermaids, centaurs, fawns, gnomes, sprites, goblins, and all other mystical creatures. This world, however, where fairy tale was once the reality is losing its sense of magic. Its inhabitants use machines such as mobile phones and cars instead of magic. Two brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, embark on a quest to discover if there's still magic in the world in order to spend one day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. We got a teaser a little while back. It didn't really give us much. This full trailer, it takes in a, in a different direction than I thought it would. It's a little weird, but I like it. It still has that Disney Pixar premise. The magic is gone. You got to get the magic back. But it also turns that dead parent trope on its head because the whole premise of the movie is them trying to get their dead dad back for a day. I love that it's set in this fantasy world. I think that opens up to a whole new style of world building that Pixar hasn't really done yet. I think this is going to be a cool take on a storyline that's kind of similar, but also has some nuance to the things they've done in the past. The troll brothers in the movie are voiced by Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. They, of course, already have a great chemistry in the Marvel movies and off camera, but you can already see that they work perfectly together in this movie as well. It seems like they were born to voice these characters, so that in itself already has me hooked. The movie also includes Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who she was actually in... Bugs Life, the very first Pixar movie. And then also Octavia Spencer is in this as well. In the trailer, the two brothers, they get this magic staff thing from their mom. They find out that the power of it, they can bring their dad back for 24 hours. So they do half of that. It doesn't quite work. So they have half their dad, literally his legs and like part of his torso. Then they have to cover up the rest of them and go on this adventure to try to get the rest of him before time runs out. So they proceed on this road trip adventure together where all these hijinks occur and lots of laughs. It's directed and written by Dan Scanlon, who he did Monsters University. He was on the senior creative team for a bunch of Pixar films, but the last one he wrote and directed was Monsters U. I love that movie. Hilarious movie. One of the more underrated of the Pixar's. I think he's going to do a great job with this. I can already tell that it's going to be funny, but it's also going to be heartfelt with a lot of the family dynamic that's already going on here. I'm sure that they're going to pull out the heartstrings as well. I like the fantasy setting. I like the weird Weekend at Bernie's kind of vibe that we're going here with a semi-dead dad running around. I think this is going to be a cool, fresh take for Pixar. 
I think people are going to like it a lot. I think a lot of people are going to love it just for Chris Pratt and Tom Holland alone. But I think a good story, the animation looks incredible. It's all going to just justify what they're doing here. And I think it's going to set Pixar off on the right foot for their next phase without a lot of these sequels that they've been working on for a while now. I'll switch the order up a little bit to keep it in Disney. We finally got a trailer for Jungle Cruise with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt. We've been waiting to see some stuff from Jungle Cruise for a while now. They showed some footage at D23 that we never got to see. They went around on a giant boat parade float. Everyone said that the two of them, Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson, had great chemistry in the footage. It appears that they have that in this trailer as well. It's very much a Dwayne Johnson role. He found his way into Disney. This is kind of exactly what he does. Uh, He's an adventurer. He plays kind of a con man, swindler type. In the beginning of the trailer, he's running this ride that's very much like the actual Jungle Cruise ride. He's putting on a show, being an entertainer, making the guests feel like they may be in danger when they're really not. And then he meets Emily Blunt's character and he kind of departs from that and goes on a real adventure on a boat. Uh, Set in the early 20th century, a riverboat captain named Frank takes a scientist and her brother on a mission into a jungle to find the Tree of Life, which is believed to possess healing powers. All the while, the trio must fight against dangerous wild animals and a competing German expedition. He runs Jungle Cruise and then Jungle Cruise turns real. It's kind of Jumanji-ish. Playing a game and then the game plays you. This is right up Dwayne Johnson's rock hard alley. I mean, for as unsufferable as he could be, actually he doesn't seem too bad. And I guess the movie as a whole for being, it's a money grab. I realize it's a money grab. It's based on yet another Disney park ride. I can't say that the plot will hold up for sure. It'll probably be a meh, another Disney live action attempt that will kind of be middle of the road, make a ton of money, but it doesn't look nearly as bad as I expected it to be. It'll probably look nice. He'll probably have some cheesy lines that aren't really that funny, but he has that charm and that wit about him. I do think Emily Blunt will counterbalance him a little bit and that'll make it work a little better and worst comes to worse we'll get an updated jungle cruise ride at disney world which can only be better from what it was for a while now we would have been done with disney here but since they own about a thousand properties now we get new trailers pretty much every day And we got two new ones while I was in the process of recording this. So we are going to throw these in here now. We got another Frozen 2 trailer and another Lady and the Tramp Disney Plus trailer. This new one for Frozen, the, the previous trailers have been oddly ominous, a little dark. I think this tries to be a little more lighthearted, tries to give a little more optimism. It's very Olaf centered. Starts with him being obnoxious as ever, saying some stuff, and then goes to Elsa being curious. Uh, Mystery awaits, and she goes off on her adventure with her pals. She needs purpose. She needs to find some answers. It seems like this movie, they're going to meet a lot of new characters that kind of help them on their journey. 
steer them in that direction that they're trying to go. It goes back to Olaf. He says something else stupid. And then flash to Elsa and Anna. They're on their journey, looking for purpose, looking for answers. Then flashes to Olaf again, saying something else stupid. So I think this one is a little lighter. I think it also doesn't give much into the actual roots and core of this story. I mean, I hope there's more to it than what it's shown in the trailer. If so, this just there's not going to be a lot here. They're going to have to really bank on characters and songs driving at home and just hoping that little kids are easily pleased. I'm not as big on Frozen as other people are. I did think it was a little overrated, but I'm not going to sit here and poop on anyone for loving a Disney movie. That would be everything that I hated. So just because I'm not as big of a fan of it, I did enjoy it a lot, but I it just wasn't everything to me like it was for a lot, and that's fine. I do think that if they don't kind of pull out some twists here in the actual movie, that there won't be much here for me to grab onto. It seems like they're kind of circling the drain with the same answers to the same questions like they did in the first movie. I am curious to see where they go with this. I thought the marketing was a little interesting with how dark the trailers got. This one kind of brought it up to more of what I expected. It'll be here in a little over a month. So November 22nd, Elsa will get her answers and we will get ours. Lady and the Tramp with another trailer. This movie, I hope it's good. I really hope that it comes out and just kills it because it looks really, really lame. And it's really interesting because Disney Plus, I am thrilled about Disney Plus. It's in a month. I don't know if I'll ever get off of it. This might turn into just a Disney Plus exclusive podcast. But this movie, for them to start off the service with this and their marketing, this movie looks a little rough. And hopefully people will be so giddy about the launch, all of this stuff that they have access to, that this will just be lighthearted and fun for everyone watching it. I am ready to just (laughs) dismiss all judgment and just watch it for what it is. But it looks really, really rough. There's some cute dogs in it, though. So I'll just look at some puppies. But as soon as their mouths start moving and their ears start moving weird, It just, it doesn't work for me. So there is a good looking sandwich in the trailer. Um, They go to Noodles and Company and push around in a meatball. Eventually they kiss doggy style. Other than that, there's really nothing here. But there will be no bad vibes for Lady and the Tramp or for Disney Plus because I am so pumped for this. I'm going to start by getting my fill up. Well, my fill of the future. I'm going to get my fill of my Disney Channel original content from my past. I'm going to get some Johnny Tsunami, a little Luck of the Irish. Then I'm going to jump to Lizzie McGuire and a little bit of Even Steven. And then I will jump back to Lady and the Tramp. And it's going to be awesome. But until that magical November comes, I'm going to continue to be a little more critical of these movies we have a couple more trailers that aren't disney the first is the reboot of charlie's angels i think if you're going to this movie excited about it i don't think you'll leave disappointed based on the trailer i'm not thinking it looks great 
I think the acting looks a little rough around the edges. The women in it look like they are having a good time. They're badass. They are strutting their stuff. And that is great. They are not going to win any Oscars for this, but I don't think that's the point in the movie. It does kind of reflect the original Charlie's Angels, and I think it could be a really fun ride. I think it will be entertaining. I don't think it will necessarily be a good movie, but that doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Other than that, I really don't have much to say about this one. We have a final trailer it is kind of a big deal. It's Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr. He is done with Marvel, stepping into the role of the doctor. He's the man talking to the animals. And after seeing this trailer, this movie honestly looks horrible. <laughs> there is not much good I could say about this trailer. The CGI and the animals, they look really bad. I don't really know what Robert Downey Jr. is doing for most of the trailer. He's laying on his side, kind of looking weird at the animals. I can't understand much of what he's saying. I really just don't know what's going on here. It's not what I expected at all. I honestly kind of had high hopes for this. I thought he'd come in and do something fun and fresh and actually could make this pretty good. There's, I don't know how you could come away from watching this trailer feeling much hope for this movie at all. But I'm really going to try to withhold much more judgment on this one, at least for one more trailer. I think their best asset here is Robert Downey Jr., and they don't really showcase him in this. So maybe they'll do that in the next one. Although now that I'm looking at the voice cast for these animals, it's also pretty incredible. Tom Holland, Michael Sheen, Rami Malek... Jesse Buckley, Emma Thompson, Ralph Fiennes, Kumail Nanjani, Antonio Banderas, Selena Gomez, John Cena, Octavia Spencer. I mean, that in itself is pretty astounding. As you can tell, I'm, I'm just taken aback by this. It really surprised me. I was ready to be on board. I'm going to bite my tongue, at least for a little more. I think there could be something here. This is just really shocking to me. So let's just take a pause on this one. I'm not going to say anything else that's bad about it. Uh, I think it's better that we just take this one. and we're, This is our last trailer. We're going to end on a little bit of a weird note, but let's move on from here. So not only are there plenty of releases this fall, there's also been a lot of film festivals lately, and they've been generating some buzz about a few of these movies as we approach award season. What I want to do is run down a handful of these movies coming out in the next couple months, especially some that are getting the Oscar nods and what some of the early feedback is for them. We'll also go and recap some reviews for movies, some recent releases that just came out in theaters. Let's start by going back to the Netflix releases. There's a couple that are confirmed to be making an impression they don't feel, at least in my opinion, quite as showcased when they're on Netflix. But I can't lie, it's really nice to have access to Oscar contenders without having to leave the couch. It's hard to imagine taking the time to go to a theater to see a movie like Roma from last year. So to have access to that at home 
without having to put in that extra time and effort, especially with these long movies. So the first one we'll start with The Irishman from Scorsese. We finally get to see it at the end of November. We've heard a lot about it, all three and a half hours of it. That seems like entirely too long for a movie, but there's been a lot of big movies lately, like Endgame, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It seems to work for this one as well, but to be able to watch that on Netflix at home, that makes it so much easier to commit the time to that because that'd be really hard to spend three and a half hours at a theater. So let's go ahead and talk about The Irishman. Scorsese's not new to good, memorable films. Being a Netflix movie, I think a lot of us were uneasy on this one, but according to early reviews, this is another hit. It's the story of Frank Sheeran, a mob hitman and World War II veteran who develops his skills during his service in Italy. Now an old man, he reflects on the events that defined his career as a hitman, particularly the role he played in the disappearance of labor leader Jimmy Hoffa, his longtime friend, and his involvement with the Buffalino crime family. Robert De Niro plays Sheeran. Al Pacino is Jimmy Hoffa. It's also got Joe Pesci as Buffalino and also Jesse Plemons. Mob movies aren't usually my style. I can definitely appreciate them. There hasn't been a decent gangster movie in a while, and even then, Scorsese basically paved the way for this genre. So if this one works, it'll be another game changer. And maybe now that I'm a little older, I think this one might really hook me in. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes from 76 critics and 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb with 2,500 reviews. I think this one will really be in there come award season. The consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, it's an epic gangster drama that earns its extended runtime. The Irishman finds Martin Scorsese revisiting familiar themes to poignant, funny, and profound effects. Slate says, I'd be hard-pressed to say that the three-plus hours of The Irishman fly by, but it's also tough to think of a single individual scene I'd want to lose. Time Magazine, The Irishman is so layered with detail and shifts so gracefully through so many eras that it's hard to tease out a clearly defined plot. Even so, the movie is beautifully constructed. You willingly follow wherever it goes. So from the reviews, it sounds like it's long and that it feels long. It's somber, bleak, but it's worth it. And that Scorsese nurtures something really masterful by the end of the movie. I don't think the streaming release will give it the same polish in Scorsese's trophy case. And I'm not really sure if the Marvel movie cinema controversy will hurt this or not with the audience reception. But I am hoping we can all just set that aside and see this film for what it is. Another Netflix film, this one coming in December, is Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. They're both getting award buzz for multiple roles this season. This movie is about a stage director and his actor wife who struggle through a grueling coast-to-coast -coast divorce 
that pushes them to their personal and creative extremes. It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes with 88 critics and an 8.1 on IMDb with 1,000 reviews. AV Club says this is a film, a deeply thoughtful and empathetic one, about how difficult it is logistically on top of all the messy feelings to end a marriage. U.S. Weekly says a marriage can't be defined by a single emotion. It's an all-consuming force that can lead to euphoric rushes and eat away at your insides, sometimes within moments of each other. Marriage Story perfectly encapsulates these feelings. This movie seems like a real emotional roller coaster that's going to pretty much wreck anyone that watches it. It'll definitely extend to a wider, more general audience in a way that movies like The Irishman won't, especially the suburban, middle-class white people with the failing marriages that keep separate Netflix profiles passive-aggressively. It seems like it's Driver and Johansson that deliver real vulnerable performances that really give it its power here. Adam Driver, he's also getting praise for the report coming out in November. And of course, we'll see him in The Rise of Skywalker in December. And then Scarlett Johansson will be talking a lot more about with Jojo Rabbit coming out next week. I'm going to make things very confusing here for a second. This is another Oscar-worthy performance, but it's completely unexpected. It's from Adam Sandler. This is an Adam Sandler movie, and it's not on Netflix, and it doesn't suck. It's called Uncut Gems. It comes out on Christmas, so it'll be going up against Star Wars in the box office, which won't help it there. It seems like it's going to be really good, though. Adam Sandler plays a charismatic New York City jeweler, always on the lookout for the next big score. He makes a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to a windfall of a lifetime. So his character, Howard, must perform a precarious high-wire act, balancing business, family, and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. Other than Adam Sandler in this, there's not really much of a cast. It does include Kevin Durant playing himself and a role that actually is getting a lot of high praise as well. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. It's unexpected, but I'm loving this. It's got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes from about 50 critics and an 8 out of 10 on IMDb with 700 reviews. The consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says Uncut Gems reaffirms the Safdie brothers as masters of anxiety-inducing cinema and proves Adam Sandler remains a formidable dramatic actor when given the right material. The Guardian says, My idea of Sandler and what he represents quickly faded as the film began. One more review. It's a bruising, desperate anxiety attack of a film that rips a rug out from under you when you least expect it. And because it cannot be said enough, Adam Sandler is on the form of his life. I am intrigued by this. Adam Sandler has never really fallen out of grace with me, and I have no idea why. I don't know if it's like the nostalgia or what, but for some reason him and Will Smith have a special place in my heart where I will just sit and completely disregard their constant output of bad movies 
with this deep-seated hope for something decent. In this case, it may have paid off. I'm sure he'll go back to trash Netflix movies right after this, but I'm definitely going to enjoy this one while I can. Okay, finally, I mentioned this one earlier when we were talking about Robert Pattinson and the Batman, but The Lighthouse, which comes out the soonest of all these movies, comes out this month, October 24th. Pattinson and Willem Dafoe play two lighthouse keepers faced with loneliness, friendship, and their worst fears as their isolation and tension begin to tell. It's got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes from 113 critics and 8.1 on IMDb with 2,000 reviews. A gripping story, brilliantly filmed and led by a pair of powerhouse performances. The Lighthouse further establishes Robert Eggers as a filmmaker of exceptional talent. That's the Rotten Tomatoes consensus. The New York Post says, By turns funny, sinister, haunting, historically fascinating, and mythical, The Lighthouse is one of the best films of the year. Like I said, both Pattinson and Defoe are getting big applause for their acting in this one. They are essentially the only characters in the entire movie. So they just go mad in the middle of the ocean. It seems like that showcases their performances pretty well. The entire movie is in black and white, which is interesting. I'm sure that lends well to the eerie and unsettling tension throughout the film. I'm excited for this one selfishly because I'm banking on it to justify my excitement for Pattinson to play Bruce Wayne. I think if he shows off his talent in this one, everyone else that is on the fence will come around it as well. And I'm going to go ahead and pause on that note to get some breaking news here. This is a perfect time. I just saw this. I said there was going to be news earlier in the podcast. I had no idea it would be while I was recording. The Batman has cast its Catwoman. Zoe Kravitz will be our next Selena Kyle alongside Robert Pattinson. I'm good with this. Nice. I think this is a great choice. It seems like everyone else right off the bat here is excited for it as well. Zoe Kravitz, she was in Mad Max Fury Road. She was Lita Lestrange in Fantastic Beasts. She was on Big Little Lies recently. And foreshadowing, she was the voice of Catwoman in Lego Batman. She's got kind of a fringy edge to her. I'm not worried at all about her as Selena Kyle, I think what'll be more interesting and more important is her chemistry with Robert Pattinson on screen. This is good stuff. I think depending on the storyline, if it's done well, I think this could work really, really well for Matt Reeves. Cool. Let's get back to some more reviews. Uh, the rest of these are all going to be movies that just came out. So they're a little all over the board as far as feedback, reviews, and reception goes. But we will start with one that's being held in very high regard. That is Parasite from Bong Joon-ho. He did Okja, Snowpiercer, and Mother. This movie is getting talked out to be one of the best of the year. A long synopsis here. Meet the Park family. The picture of aspirational wealth and the Kim family, rich in street smarts, but not much else. Be it chance or fate, 
These two houses are brought together and the Kims sense a golden opportunity. Masterminded by college-aged Ki Wu, the Kim children expediently install themselves as tutor and art therapists to the parks. Soon, a symbiotic relationship forms between the two families. The Kims provide indispensable luxury services while the parks obliviously bankroll their entire household. When a parasitic interloper threatens the Kim's newfound comfort, a savage, underhanded battle for dominance breaks out, threatening to destroy the fragile ecosystem between the Kim's and the parks. It's a Korean film, so it's subtitled in English. But even though we can't really get much of the language here, people are saying it's still a masterpiece to watch. It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes with 167 critics and an 8.5 on IMDb with over 41,000 reviews. Time Magazine says it tells a story you could probably follow without subtitles or any dialogue at all. The faces of these actors show with piercing clarity how it feels to be an outsider in a world of wealth and privilege. Rolling Stone says, let's just say it, the South Korean auteur Bong Joon-ho is some kind of genius and he tops himself with Parasite. It's explosive filmmaking on every level and one of the cinema high points of 2019. You won't know what hit you. This is some pretty big hype. I'm kicking myself that I haven't seen it already. If this is as good as people are saying, I think it'll be quite a ride of a movie. And I think after reading these, I'm a big fan of Bong Joon-ho's other films already. I think I need to make this one a top priority. Unfortunately, we're going to have to take it down a couple of notches on these scores and make these tomatoes a little more rotten. Another space movie came out. This one, Lucy in the Sky. Natalie Portman plays astronaut Lucy Cola. She returns to Earth after a lengthy space mission where she begins an affair with fellow astronaut Mark Goodwin. Due to her experience far from home, Lucy heads into a downward spiral as she loses connection to her family. And when her lover begins another affair with an astronaut trainee, the bottom drops out. This is based loosely on the actual astronaut Lisa Nowak. It's got a 23% critic and 31% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The Chicago Sun-Times says, Unintentionally funny and then just plain sad, Lucy in the Sky is one of the most disappointing films of 2019. Boston Globe says, It's a deep-thinking character study that's provocatively, if imperfectly, presented, at least until the story devolves right along with the subject's state of mind. That's weird because it's marked as fresh, but it sounds like it's kind of rotten even then. When I first heard about this movie, I read a little bit about Lisa Nowak, and I was really interested in this. It's kind of a shame that it ended up being so bad in the long run. It seems like it could have been a bit of like a counterpart to Ad Astra, which just came out, and that did pretty well with the astronaut isolated in space so long that they kind of lose their mind. It seems like it could have gone in the right direction and been pretty immersive, 
but I guess this one doesn't really do it as well. Another disappointment is Gemini Man with Will Smith. I was really wanting to go see this one and then maybe review it because initially some people were giving it some decent hype. Seems like it might not be worth it to me to dish out the money, especially with everything else coming out and just for this one to drain my pockets and my eyeballs apparently. It's Ang Lee. He did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Life of Pi, Brokeback Mountain. He's got a decent resume, especially for this movie to fall short. If you're not sure what it's about, Will Smith, he uh, plays Henry Brogan, an elite assassin who is suddenly targeted and pursued by a mysterious young operative that seemingly can predict his every move. So the less ambiguous version of this, he's an old hitman and he faces off against a younger clone of himself. That's not a spoiler because it's in the trailers. So both of the roles are acted by Will Smith, the older version and the younger version of himself. It looks like it's from like de-aging technology, kind of like what it seems like every movie feels like they need to use right now. Actually, it's not de-aging technology. It's all CGI. So what they did is they mo-capped Will Smith's face and body, I guess, and completely generated a younger version of him using only CGI. That's actually pretty incredible. That technology is groundbreaking, but I guess essentially it still looks the same as de-aging technology. So to the casual viewer, it looks like what they did with Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel. Anyway, it has a 24% critic, but a 84% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So it seems like at least the general audience here kind of likes this enough. Uh, Rotten Tomato consensus says Gemini Man's impressive visuals are supported by some strong performances but this sci-fi thriller is fatally undermined by a frustratingly subpar story. And I think this is a lot of what I've been hearing from most sources on this, that it's really ambitious with really advanced effects work and that the acting's pretty good, especially Will Smith in both of his roles, but the story itself is just bland. Not even that bad necessarily, it's just boring and formulaic. This does explain why there could be the discrepancy in the critic and audience scores here. Because a cool looking movie where older Will Smith fights the Fresh Prince Bel-Air is enough to satisfy many people. I'm not sure if it's enough to satisfy me. I think I'm going to hold off on theaters on this one. I'll try to maybe get it in 4K and hope that it still delivers that pizzazz that people are kind of talking about in the special effects. A movie that I know I'm not going to see in theaters is Jexy. This is a comedy about what can happen when you love your phone more than anything else in your life. Adam Levine plays Phil. When Phil is forced to upgrade his phone, the latest model comes with an unexpected feature. Jexy, an AI life coach, virtual assistant, and cheerleader. With her help, Phil begins to get a real life. But as he becomes less dependent on his phone, Jexy's artificial intelligence morphs into a tech nightmare determined to keep Phil all to herself. 
even if it means ruining his chances of finding success. This has a sad 14% from critics. Oh, but a 69% from viewers and a 6.9 on IMDb. That's very fitting for an Adam Levine movie. It seems like the movie is exactly what you'd expect from an Adam Levine comedy. There's a good chance I never get around to this one, even on streaming, unless I'm feeling really low on my self-respect, which I guess that means I might watch it. It's an only an hour and 20 minutes long. So this is like one of those movies you could tell me in six months that I watched it and I just forgot about it and I'd probably believe you. We'll jump to an animated movie. This one, another movie that I am sad that isn't a little better than I thought it would be. It's the new animated take on The Addams Family. It's from MGM, made by Cinecite Studio, which doesn't really have a big resume so far, but they delivered some really nice animation here on this one. The voice cast is pretty impressive. Oscar Isaac, Charlize Theron, Chloe Grace Moretz, my boy, Finn Wolfhard, Nick Kroll, Bette Midler, Martin Short, Snoop Dogg as Cousin It. It's got a 40% from critics and 70% from users. Have some reviews. Anyone who's still engaged by the end of the movie is probably too young to remember the original. Another one says, the film's writing is unambitious. There's little to cause adults to smile knowingly. So a lot of what I'm seeing, I can't really tell if this is actually good or not. It seems like people are upset that it's not really reminiscent of the true Adams family. It seems like many people may be feeling a little like misled that the movie teases a lot of nods to the source material, but doesn't really follow through on it. I don't have much of a history with the past Adams Family shows or movies. So if this is just silly and fun, I don't think this movie would bother me much. Another review, the LA Times, the appeal of this Adams Family, which doesn't break the mold, is simply to spend more time in the gently spooky world, a gateway for budding creepsters and goths. I think that kind of echoes my thoughts on this. It's a good movie for Halloween. It'll be a little bit of fun. It'll probably be one of those that I will save for next October. And I'll just like cue this up on Netflix instead and enjoy it from home. A big one right now. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is out on Netflix. This will be the last movie we talk about. I am so badly wishing that I could review this further. I've been mourning some serious FOMO over the past week. I regretfully never got past season three on Breaking Bad. It was really hard for me to stick with it. Not because it wasn't an incredible show. It's just such a hard world to immerse yourself in for a long time. And it really took a toll on me after a while. So sadly, I chose to give it up. There's only two shows that I've ever done this with both of which are probably the best shows I've ever seen. It's Breaking Bad and Mr. Robot. And I had to tap out on both of them, basically for the sake of my mental health. So this one kills me. With El Camino, I am definitely living through anybody who's loving this right now. 
It seems like, generally speaking, Breaking Bad fans are happy with it. It has a 95% from critics and 83% from users. That's pretty impressive considering that it's an unnecessary addition to an otherwise perfect story arc. The general consensus I'm getting is that though it's not necessary, it's generally welcomed and embraced. It's a nice bow on the Breaking Bad story. It gives some desired closure to Jesse Pinkman's character. And it's not so much of a movie as it is like a two-hour epilogue episode. It seems like Vince Gilligan did a pretty adequate job of returning the fans to that Breaking Bad environment throwing in some familiar faces and not overdoing it, which could have easily been done here. Anyone who is enjoying this, who got to join in on the fun, I do envy you. So please continue to enjoy it. So that's it for movies. I'm going to list off a few movies at the very end that are coming out in the next week or so. We can talk about those in the next couple episodes once they've come out. And I've decided what I'm going to do is designate a separate episode to my review of Joker plus a couple other things that I've been enjoying lately. So it'll be kind of a part two to this one. But this episode is already long enough and I got to find a good spot to wrap it up here soon. But we're not done yet. We have some good TV news that I want to get through before we go. One piece of news, we got our cast for Marvel's Hellstrom series coming to Hulu. Tom Austin and Sidney Lemon will play the demon-hunting siblings Damon and Anna Hellstrom, who are the children of Satan and Victoria Hellstrom, who will be played by the very conveniently named Elizabeth Marvel. She was just in Unbelievable on Netflix, which will be in my review episode. I'm pretty surprised that this series is still in the works. Not only is it kind of an obscure set of characters to base a TV show around, but most of the interest in this was hinged on its connection to the Ghost Rider series that was planned for Hulu that was just announced to be canceled. Many people are speculating that that Diego Luna Ghost Rider series was shut down because Feige has some plans for the character in the MCU. I also don't know how this Hellstrom series will do on its own now. I'm usually pretty committed to anything Marvel, but I'm even wondering if I'm going to put in the time on this one. That also might be because I've never really had much of a personal interest in the demonic underworld like uh, Constantine or Lucifer. I'm surprised Marvel decided that this one's worth it, especially since a lot of the attention is on their Disney Plus series now. Another comic book character, Adam Strange, is being developed for TV from DC Comics. This is another pretty obscure choice to me. The character is an archaeologist who is teleported from Peru to the planet Ran through a Zeta Beam. He's called on to protect this planet from extraterrestrial threats using their technology, 
and after some time he grows to care for them, for the planet and its people. He later returns to Earth, but he jumps back and forth through this beam. He doesn't have any powers. He has some special equipment and skills, though. This character appeared on the Krypton show for sci-fi, which is now canceled. This won't be the same version getting a show now. It hasn't been clarified yet where this show will end up. I would say it would be DC Universe, which is alongside Titans and Doom Patrol. But I think that DC Universe, the streaming service, will be swallowed up by HBO Max once that launches. I'm not really sure how well DC Universe is doing, although I do think their shows are really good. HBO will be a better parent streaming service for all of those shows as a whole. Also announced for HBO Max, there's a Maniac Cop series coming. It's based on the 1988 cult classic, which I have not seen. Maniac Cop is told through the perspective of multiple characters, from cops to common criminals. A killer in uniform has uncaged mayhem upon the streets. Paranoia leads to a social disorder as a city wrestles with the mystery of the exterminator in blue. Is he mere mortal or a supernatural force? Like I said, I don't know much about this one. The premise is interesting enough for me, though. I think it could be adapted pretty well into a series, especially if it's done in that HBO fashion. I'm kind of curious about this one. We'll see as we get a little more news down the road. Some bigger news, there's a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air spinoff in the works from Will Smith's production company. Three years ago, there were rumors of a possible reboot. At the time, Will Smith said he'd reboot the Fresh Prince when hell freezes over. Well, it seems like something is in the works. Although, to clarify, it does seem like this is a spinoff, not really a reboot. So Will Smith probably won't actually be in it. But since NBC did just announce its streaming service, Peacock, that's probably what they're cooking this up for. We really don't have any more information other than that. This was part of a larger Hollywood Reporter bio piece on Will Smith. And this news was actually like only included in a single sentence. But this is kind of what people picked up and ran with. With any spinoff, this could be really far from the actual plot lines of the original show. So whether it's in Bel Air or it has to do with the Banks family, it's too early to tell where in the continuity this will take place. We can talk about a show from another streaming service for Apple TV Plus is the teaser for Servants from M. Night Shyamalan. This teaser came out during the Emmys. But the people at New York Comic Con got a full trailer. And it seems like from what we're getting from them, this is about a couple in Philadelphia mourning after the death of their baby. Their only way to cope with this is through a form of what's called fringe therapy, pretending their baby is still alive by replacing her with a doll. The husband goes along with it, but he becomes more skeptical when they decide to hire a nanny to take care of a doll. Here's where I'm sure it gets creepy and mysterious. The couple doesn't know who they invited into their home with the nanny, but we also don't know exactly what happened to the baby either. We'll probably get the trailer for this soon and we can go ahead and come back when we do. 
Apple TV Plus is starting to reveal a lot of their content lately. So I'm sure they're trying to get a foot in the door before Disney Plus hits next month. If we started going through the whole list of all their shows and stuff right now, it would suck up a lot more time. And I'm sure we'll have discussions on them as they start to come out. So we'll save those for another episode. We got a teaser on Twitter to confirm the fourth season of Stranger Things. This isn't much of a surprise at all. And there's not really much more news here, but I really liked last season and it was probably one of my favorites. So I'm still a little pumped about that. And I just need more reasons to talk about Finn Wolfhard. We also got confirmation at New York Comic Con that DC Universe's Harley Quinn animated series is coming on November 29th. If you haven't seen this trailer, it's bananas. (laughs) It won't be a show for everyone. It seems like it's completely unhinged and really bizarre. I'm hoping that it really captures the insanity of the character that's Harley Quinn. I think it could be a lot more fun to see it with a explicit animated type approach. It could mirror the other adult animation that's really gotten good all across the board lately. One of those is Rick and Morty, and we got a trailer for season four. It's been two years since the last season ended. Uh, This one picks up where the last season left off. The narrator of the trailer says, it's been way too long. The smartest Rick and Mortyest Morty in the universe are back and things are pretty much the same, all effed up. So this trailer also includes some old characters that a lot of people are excited to see. What's getting a little more ruckus about this season is that it's only gonna have 10 episodes split into two parts. And the first one starts on November 10th. After two years of waiting, some fans are a little disgruntled that it's only 10, but I don't think anyone should worry too much. Season five is already being worked on, and there was a contract signed last May for 70 episodes. So there will be a lot more to come. We got a trailer for the third season of Marvel's Runaways for Hulu, also at New York Comic Con. This one doesn't start until December 13th, and I'll save more for this till later. I was just excited to see it because it teased the crossover with Cloak and Dagger, which is on Freeform. This is a fun combination. I think it'll help both shows and get some hype going. They both tend to fall towards the bottom of my priority list as shows. Not because they're bad by any means. I think it's just they're less demanding and a little more forgettable in the scheme of things. It definitely brings back up that question I was talking about earlier as to the future of those peripheral Marvel shows that are on Hulu and stuff. This will be another one we're going to have to wait and see if this thing kind of survives all these plans. We got another trailer for season two of Castle Rock. That's coming out soon. It begins on the 23rd of October, and I'll probably be watching and reviewing this one, so we'll get a little deeper on it later. There's some things, though, that are interesting to me about this trailer, or this season, really. It's completely separate storyline with new characters, so it has no ties to the first season at all, other than the setting itself. It's mostly a backstory of Annie Wilkes, She was Stephen King's nurse from hell in his book, Misery. Another character, though, based on a Stephen King book is Ace Merrill. 
who was originally played by Kiefer Sutherland in Stand By Me. This version of Ace Merrill takes over his uncle's business and it's causing problems in the Somali County in nearby Jerusalem's lot. So Salem's lot, maybe we'll get some vampires too. Last season got pretty supernatural by the end, so it's possible. Uh, There's a lot more elements from Stephen King's books in this, and there's a lot more to the plot and the characters and the people playing them. But like I said, I'll go ahead and wait until the show starts to come out before we get into that. Coming to HBO beginning November 4th is His Dark Materials. It's based on a trilogy of books called Northern Lights, also known as The Golden Compass. There was a film version of this, The Golden Compass, with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. I actually never saw it. It appears it didn't do very well despite the acting here. I didn't read the book either, so I don't know much about it. But after seeing the trailer and kind of reading about it, seeing the fan base behind the book, It got me all in. I think I wanted this one, although I don't really have the credentials for it. Daphne Keene stars as Lyra, a young girl who ends up at the center of a conspiracy involving her uncle, Lord Israel, Mrs. Coulter, and child abduction. Lord Israel is played by James McAvoy, Mrs. Coulter by Ruth Wilson. It also has Lin-Manuel Miranda, among others, in it. It's set in an alternative universe where every human being has an animal companion known as a demon. It's a pretty sophisticated plot. Hopefully the show can manage that. I was a little confused by the trailer and the teaser, especially the way that HBO does these shows. They can take something, draw it out. They can handle something that's pretty complex. I'm not too worried about it. There is, of course, a lot of clickbait to the question of, could this fill the Game of Thrones void? It always makes me roll my eyes with that stuff, but the trailer makes it look really epic. I could end up loving this one, and I hope it does great. Both this and Watchmen coming out on HBO have me completely tuned in for this winter. A show that I'm not sure I'll stay tuned in for coming out on Netflix next week is Daybreak. Based on the trailer, this seems a little ridiculous and it'll probably be pretty dumb. I will at least give it a shot and report back to you. It centers on the students and staff of Glendale High School who after an ominous and dangerous mushroom cloud are thrust into a barren wasteland with different warring tribes trying to control life in the aftermath. So it's basically the difficulties and dramas of high school life if you threw in a zombie apocalypse as well. It seems like it could be somewhat self-aware of the tropes of post-apocalyptic pop culture films and TV and stuff. And it hopefully will lean into that in an ironic and witty kind of way. If they did that well, they could pull it off. But That's a pretty fine line to walk, especially with all the the zombie stuff we get, uh, like the Zombieland movie. It also does have Matthew Broderick as the high school principal here, which does absolutely nothing to ease my skepticism. Finally, a show that I'm not as learned on. We got a second trailer for the highly anticipated Star Trek show Picard heading to the CBS streaming service. 
Full disclosure, I'm not really a Star Trek guy. I enjoyed the recent film franchise just for their independent entertainment value alone. I'm aware of the general characters and the premises, but I've never been a part of the culture. I haven't been committed to any of the past series. I'm completely aware that this is a much bigger deal for others than it is for me. And for what it's worth, I thought the trailer looked really good. It gave us a better glimpse at Sir Patrick Stewart than the first one did. He automatically bumps anything up several points, including the new Charlie's Angels. And in this, he has a cute puppy. He's an older Picard who has tried to put his past behind him, but he's approached by a young woman in the need of help. He goes back to the Federation to try and help and finds himself back in the fold. Along the way, there's glimpses of familiar characters and lines. Some of those are way more identifiable to other people than me. I'm not really sure if it has that same, you know, low budget sci-fi vibe that the past shows have had their fans come to love and embrace. I'm sure the fandom will get a little fired up no matter what. It'll be contentious. It'll divide the Trekkies. I won't subscribe to CBS for this. I may still try to find a way to watch this and check it out. But even then, I won't really know how it does with the source material and the references. So this will be a show I leave to others for consensus. But I do hope all the best for those that are more invested. That is it for all the TV trailers. I am very well aware that there are many, many shows out there, many good shows out there. But of course, I'll never be able to handle them all myself. I watch more than what I'll probably mention, and you may not watch what I do. I may not watch all that you do. For this reason, I won't devote too much of the podcast to all these series that require way more intentionality and personal investment than we can all share. I'll talk about what's new, what's super popular, and selfishly what I am watching and really enjoying, but I do welcome all of your insights and opinions and recommendations as well. I'll go ahead and mention a couple of the shows that kicked off over the past couple weeks. All of the CW superhero shows are back, including the final season of Arrow, also The Flash, Supergirl, and the series premiere of the newest show, Batwoman. They all fall right back into their respective elements and they're back in their groove. So if you're already in the Arrowverse, you won't need any reviews or feedback to stay committed to them. And if you're not in the Arrowverse, you're probably not going to start at this point. The CW also began its new season of Riverdale with a really heartfelt and emotional tribute to the late Luke Perry, who just passed away. And its spinoff, Nancy Drew, the most recent new show, a sexy adaptation of a children's character alongside Archie and Jughead. I'll talk about both of these a little more in my reviews, along with a quick review for Batwoman, if anyone is curious about the debut of those new additions. Raising Dion came out on Netflix to a moderate reception. It's about a widowed single mom who discovers that her son has superpowers 
and tries to figure out how to raise him safely and responsibly. It's produced by Michael B. Jordan, who also appears in small doses throughout the season. Both critics and users are sitting at about like high 70% on this one. It's a decent attempt at the genre, depending on your hopes and expectations. I will share more of my thoughts on it in my review as well. Another show that's fun to talk about, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The reboot from Nickelodeon. It's silly, but it's also innocent, and it's actually a lot better than I expected. Plus, we all love a little nostalgia. You can watch the first episode for free on YouTube right now, so it's worth checking in, checking out, just for your own inner child's sake. Before we finish the podcast, we have one more big announcement that isn't TV or movies. It was officially announced the PlayStation 5 will be available come winter of 2020 in time for the holiday season. The PS5 will include a 4K Blu-ray player. It will support 3D audio, 8K graphics, and ray tracing. Cloud gaming will be possible. It will also be backward compatible with PS4 and PS virtual reality games. And to some of the more nitty gritty, the CPU will be an eight core chip. Rumors suggested that the APU will run at two gigahertz, if this means anything to you. That just means that it more than doubles the speed of the PS4 Pro. Instead of a hard disk drive, the PS5 will have a solid state drive with higher bandwidth. That just means that loading times will be reduced significantly. The solid state drive will also allow you to install just the parts of the games that you want to play. So just the multiplayer mode or just the campaign mode. And those games can be loaded to the specific modes you want to play from the dashboard. So you won't have to go through the entire starting process like you would for games on the PS4 right now. Some more features are of the controller. Uh, This next controller will have a larger capacity battery. There will be haptic feedback to replace the rumble technology that are in the current controllers. With haptics, you get a broader range of feedback. It can offer this feedback to analog sticks, so it'll feel different to walk on mud versus walking on snow or grass. Controllers will also incorporate what are called adaptive triggers in the L2 and R2 buttons. Developers can program different resistances to these triggers so that you feel a different tactile sensation in doing things like drawing a bow and arrow or accelerating a vehicle. Those triggers can be combined with the haptics to better simulate different actions. As for PlayStation Virtual Reality, they haven't announced much with VR yet, only that they plan to make future versions lighter and with less wires, possibly even a wireless version released in addition to a traditional model. It's also said that PlayStation will maybe use eye tracking technology in its headset, which is something that's done right now for the super high-end models. There's likely bigger plans for a newer VR system 
to also correspond with those haptic feedback triggers that we talked about in the controllers. I don't think much has been said as far as price point goes. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more details and info that comes out in the future, a lot more especially with games and different studios and what they're kind of cooking up to correspond with whatever we're getting in the PS5. I think that's most of the big stuff for now though. All right, that's it for this episode. We got some upcoming stuff coming out this week to look out for. As we talked about before, The Lighthouse will arrive in theaters. It has a 93% critic score. Jojo Rabbit hits theaters. It has a 80% from 119 critics. Zombieland Double Tap at 75% from 50 critics. Jay and Silent Bob the Reboot is coming out with 64% from 11 critics but a 96% from over 220 users that have seen it. Starting off rotten is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, with a 46% with 90 critics there. Streaming on Netflix in time for Halloween is the horror movie Eli. Uh, It's about a boy receiving treatment for his autoimmune disorder that discovers that the house he's living in isn't as safe as he thought. And finally, we're going to get the premiere of Watchmen, the series on HBO on the 20th, which is sitting at 91% from 23 critics and getting some positive buzz on social media right now. I will try to catch as much of this as I can, and I'll plan on sharing some of this and my feedback on it for some reviews in the future. Let me know, though, what you are watching from this and what you think about it. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode. Like I said, it's a longer episode than most of them will be. And probably by the time you hear this, a lot more news will have come and passed. So keep an eye out for my review episode and I'll jump into the next one and all the upcoming stuff right after that. It might take a while before I get into a good rhythm here which means it'll be messy for a while, but please be patient. More than anything, I'm just excited to get going on this thing. I'm excited that you all can join me. Please subscribe and leave a good review. That will really help me get established on all these different platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at TOC pod. Send me some of your thoughts and some feedback. I'd love to interact more with people on there in the future. That is all for this episode. Have a good week, and I will see you next time at the Table of Content.